0: Behind
1: closed doors. This is Beer and B bee Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what are we talking about today? Well, today is our first special episode. We're going to switch things up a bit and we're going to focus on a B movie genre, Film Noir, and a beer tasting of a certain style beer, Stouts. Michael, you want to talk about the variety of Stouts we're going to?
0: Try. I picked four stouts today, ranging from classic British. We have the Samuel Smith's Oatmeal Stout. We go to Bell's in Comstock, Michigan, with their Kalamazoo Stout, an American Stout. For something that a uh, little different, a little newer, I picked up multiple Infinities Irish Cream Stout from Artisanal Brew Works. They're up in New York. It has lactose. It's um, that's kind of a newer thing to me. And then finally, one of my all-time favorites, the Yeti Imperial Stout from Great Divide Brewery. It is amazing. Right now, we're starting with the Oatmeal Stout from Samuel Smith's. Cheers. Cheers. How do you like This is your first time having it, correct?
1: It is. It is. It's dark. Yeah. It, it has a creamy texture. I was reading that bottle. So they've been brewing... 1758. Yeah, That's amazing. In it's Yorkshire,
0: England. These guys are awesome. Their Taddy Porter is super popular. I love this beer because it's it's not overly heavy to me. Sometimes they, they can sit in your tummy and make you full. But <laughs> but this one is very drinkable. It's, it is oatmeal stout, so it's going to be a little sweet, creamy. I could sit in a pub and, and put a few of these away. I definitely get that sweet taste to it.
1: You chose stouts for this special episode, because... Film noir.
0: It's dark film. The content is dark, that if you say film noir to somebody, they get an image in their mind of a Humphrey Bogart, a detective in a trench coat, with a fedora, dark streets, someone smoking a cigarette and rain coming down, and bad things are going to happen, you know? <laughs> it's not an uplifting genre. And some people even question if it is a genre. There's so much you can talk about in film noir. Is it a cycle? Is it a series? It was never intended. The musical comedy, people wanted to make musical comedies. Film noir was defined by the French after most of the films were made. We used a panorama of film noir. I studied this in school. I have a degree, <laughs> I have a degree in film. I love film noir. It's one of my favorite types of movies. So when I saw there was a class specifically about film noir, you're damn right I signed up. And it was great. But the first book, the book that they told us to buy, was A Panorama of American Film Noir by Raymond Bord and Etienne Chamaton. They're uh, French film critics. And this is sort of the thing that defined film noir.
1: And you sent me a copy which I read and thoroughly
0: enjoyed. It's interesting. It is. I mean, it's nerdy. Like, when you have that on your bookshelf, I mean, I still have it from school. I didn't throw any of my books away. I have several books specifically. I have three off the top of my head I can think of that are specifically about film noir. I think it's interesting when you read it and you see where they, they pick up this theme going through American films. And it's interesting because you say American films, but some of the biggest names were European. Their original time frame for film noir, 1941 to 1953, kind of gets extended. I used to be hardcore about that, but I will extend it to the end of the 50s. So 41 to 59, I think, is what we sort of agreed. It has to be black and white, though. starts with The Maltese Falcon and ends with Odds Against Tomorrow. Those are two kind of the bookends, I think. We we chose.
1: And I'm just a Joe Schmo when it comes to Film Noir. This is not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. You you did a lot. (laughs) I did a lot. I'm looking at the list of movies I watched. 20 movies (laughs) that I completely watched. And there's about a 10 that I turned on because I would turn on late at night and I fell asleep. I didn't add those to the list because I didn't complete
0: them. So, of those, let me ask you a question. Roughly how many of those do you think you would go back to watch just to enjoy? I
1: would say 90% of this list I'd go back and watch again. And the reason I thought this would be a great and I'm using the term genre right now cuz we'll dive into that. I think, to co- I think that's to, fair. The cover is that they were predominantly B movies during the golden age of B movies, which meant that either the studio's B unit was making it or is done by a bunch of these poverty row studios in Hollywood. I wrote down some of the production companies: Eagle, Lion, Harry Popkin, King Brothers, Horizon, Associated Players, of course RKO. Oh, R- and- R- RKO was kind of <laughs> they are sort of the cornerstone reading about it. The majority of them had very tight film schedules, <laughs> and they were intended as a B-movie Real, This was not going to be anything special. It's just like, hey, we're going to make this movie and get it
0: out. You have the crime writers of that time, the Dashiell Hammetts, the James Cain, M. Kane, Raymond Chandler. They were taking their stories a lot of times and turning them around, making them these sensationalistic little movies.
1: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned those writers because Billy Wilder, Wilder's Double Indemnity was based off James M. Cain's novel. Mm -hmm. But the screenplay, Raymond Chandler worked on the
0: screenplay. You see that quite often. And I think that's amazing that you have this great book by this great writer. And then you have another great writer in the same genre writing the screenplay. Raymond Chandler, I think I told you this, Raymond Chandler, when they were adapting one of his movies, they were talking to him. One of his bits of advice was, if you get stuck have someone walk through the door with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. If you're writing a story and you're like I don't know I don't know how to proceed. I don't know how to get farther and just have someone walk through the door with a gun. It's an interesting genre in that so much of it came from horribleness in the 20th century. Fritz Lang, Billy Wilder, and Robert Siodmak are three famous directors in the genre. And all three of them were from Austria or Germany and they all Fled because of the rise of Hitler and the Nazis. They're great directors, and in fact, Fritz Lang, there's this famous story where he made a movie, Dr. Mabuse, The Gambler, and it wasn't overt, but he made it as showing the Nazi party and Hitler as criminals. And Joseph Goebbels banned the movie, but Fritz Lang also did M, which we will discuss someday. It's a great movie. And Goebbels called... Fritz Lang to his office and said, hey, Hitler's a big fan of M. We want to make you the head of UFA, which is the highest place you can get in German film industry at the time. And Fritz Lang basically walked out of the office and said, I need to get the hell out of here. And he saw what was going on, so he said, I need to skedaddle. So three great directors got out of Dodge, came here, brought the elements of German expressionism, which is where you get all the great shadows and film noir and make great movies.
1: So the term, as we pointed out, noir means dark film or black film. I've seen people use it both ways, like you have said. This phrase was coined after these movies came out. So w- why don't we talk about what makes a film noir? What are the elements? And we can discuss how oh. is it a is it is a genre? Is it a style? Is it a cycle of films?
0: Or is it just a mood or a is series? It, what is it? Everything in between? It's an a hodgepodge, an amalgam which I think is kind of cool when you think about how it was it takes people from different places coming together so I kind of like that it's hard to define because everybody got together everybody's got a hand in this one I mentioned earlier that everybody has their idea of rainy streets dark smoking trench coats fedoras bad people doing bad things a wise you know a lot of times a wise cracking detective you have the femme fatale, which the femme fatale is the female protagonist or antagonist in a, in a film noir where oftentimes she lures a man in to do something she wants done. More often than not, it's, hey, kill my husband so we can get the insurance yeah. money. It's sort of like a dateline. Well, it's <laughs>
1: interesting too because the femme fatale, their goal is not to get the hero. Their goal no. is usually money money power, and prestige, gonna, and, revenge.
0: And they're going to throw that guy over the over the side. The first chance they get. If, when you're from the outside looking in, you're going, "Dude, it's pretty clear yeah. this woman is not really into you." outside of you killing her husband and she gets the insurance money, odds are you're not gonna live happily ever after. Your relationship is built on her betraying her husband (laughs) and using you to kill him. We could do a whole show on femme fatales. The classic one people think of is Barbara Stanwyck as Phyllis Dietrichson in Double Indemnity. She lures Walter Neff in to murder her husband. She's fantastic. Kathy Moffat is personally one of my favorites and out of the past, I always describe you have the two different ones. Phyllis Dietrichson gets another man to do the murder. And then at the end, she does shoot him, but it's like a last act of desperation. Whereas Kathy Moffat has no problem. She, in fact, looks at men as weak. And it's it's basically, hey, you, I killed that guy because I knew you wouldn't. Her her final moment in the movie, <laughs> out of the past,
1: is she shoots Robert Mitchum. And, That's and, her final action.
0: <laughs> and she actually says she shoots his partner, his ex-partner, and kills him. Because she says, you wouldn't. I mean, she's terrifying. She'll try to get you to do something. And you know what? If you won't, she's more than happy to pull the trigger. So the femme fatale is great. If you think roles today are tough for women, 70, 80 years ago, you were basically a housewife. You are the babe in the woods. That was it. And the femme fatale was like, it was a chance for actresses to do something different, have a bigger, stronger role. Many, many years later, people looked back and said, that's not really true. It's sort of a negative. Making women look like these horrible people. We don't need to really get too far into the weeds on that one. It produced some great, great acting. Jane Greer and Barbara Stanwyck are sensational. And when you go through many of the other ones, the roles that jump stand out, the ones you remember, are the women.
1: I'm just going to mention Mary Windsor, who played Sherry Petty in, the, in Stanley Kubrick's The Killing, where she was Elijah Cooks Jr.'s wife. She just wound Elijah Cook Jr. around her finger. She was having a complete affair. She was going to leave him. She was going to steal all the money that he was involved in. And he just did not see it until the very end. And he was so remorseful. He ended up shooting her at the very end. His face was still like, I can't believe... That she was betraying me this whole time, and she'd had no love whatsoever for us. We do, we, I
0: really just have to quick say there's an entire episode we could do on Elisha Cook Jr. <laughs> and Fumar just getting smacked around, basically. Another one Ann Savage in Detour is amazing. She just plays this really nasty woman basically blackmailing a guy the entire time it's such a great role and you can see she's having so much fun with it it's super cool but i just love you brought up elijah cook jr because it is it's something i learned years and years ago where i just went this guy basically first of all i think he was in every movie ever made (laughs) i would agree with you i mean his imdb page is just the website (laughs) (laughs) and and second he was always playing the quote-unquote tough guy and he was like five or something. He's always, five, getting, five sl- He's always something. getting slapped around. Yes. Now. Another thing in film noir is you have the anti-hero. In a book I have, is they just say, it's not John Wayne. The guy gets into the game because you're paying him. So it's not some altruistic thing. You have very, very nasty criminals, like people who are sadistic. In fact, they had to water it down because of the Hays Code, because when you go back and read the books, there are people that are much more violent. The books will have people that they weren't comfortable sh- sharing on screen. They have all these different characters coming together, but often there's there's a heavy. Think uh, Kiss of Death. Richard Widmark is Tommy Udo. He shoves a woman in a wheelchair downstairs, and he's like side. laughing. He has totally. a big oh smile ter- on his terrifying. face. Terrifying. He is terrifying. And he, that is
1: a very violent scene. It's just done really fast, where you just see her shoved down the stairs.
0: But the lead up to it yeah. is so great because he's just like it's almost he's like a predator. He's just walking around. He's smiling. He's like looking for her son, and then he just sort of pulls the cord out. So some points that we
1: made about what makes up the genre. We've talked about it's in the presence of crime. It deals with the criminal element. It's not a police procedural, which may have more elements, but exactly. it's done in the atmosphere of crime. And I think Bord and Shamaton, <laughs> they talk about the angle of vision of the movie being about this violence. And you've also mentioned our lead. We tend to seek them as private investigators. Their morals are never
0: perfect. I would almost say they're not even here. They're anti-heroes. Yes. They're anti-heroes. For instance, Kiss Me Deadly. That perfect example. Ralph Maker as Mike Hammer. (laughs) For me, I made an effort to watch movies I hadn't seen. Because, I mean, I've seen a lot of the film noir canon. But I went and revisited that. Because that's a classic. It influenced Repo Man And Quentin Tarantino uses it in Pulp Fiction Fiction with the briefcase. Mike Hammer, he was so fantastic, but he was such a jerk. When we're introduced to him, the police are talking to him and he's a PI. You find out that he basically has his lady, his right-hand lady, go out, seduce a guy. And then he seduces the wife and they sort of play it off each other. And he goes out and says, "Your, your husband's cheating on you. And he sets it up. So he's a real kind of a scumbag. He's not a hero. No. He's not somebody you call when you're in desperate need unless you have money. It makes it interesting and it a little more realistic because the real world is not populated with Jason Bournes. No. Out there doing the right thing for the right reasons.
1: Good and evil rub shoulders in <laughs> film noir all the time.
0: Hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys. And that's one of the things very ambiguous.
1: And that gets to another point about the general plot lines. If We're trying to talk about elements of film noir. They're nightmarish. They're confusing they are layered with flashbacks voiceovers compared to movies nowadays if i go and bring my kids and i watch wonder woman 1984 (laughs) the plot's pretty straightforward but going back and watching these film noirs you do have to pay attention sometimes you're not even sure if the hero i'm going to use mike hammer and kiss me deadly pretty clear he doesn't know what he's doing I think his girlfriend says, You like to pull on a thread, and a thread leads to this, and leads to this. And you have no idea, basically, what you're doing. And you're stumbling into something because you think, "Uh, I'll eventually figure it out. And at the end, I would say his character,
0: he probably still didn't know what was going on. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right, Jason. And oftentimes, you know, when it is a private detective, they're being paid. Again, they don't do things for altruistic reasons. It's like to say they're hurt masculinity or because someone's paying them. So we have all of those elements, but at the same time, you can take any one of those out and it could still be a film noir.
1: So let me add on to that because you could say the actual physical shooting, the cinematography of film noirs is an element that makes film noirs. It's, it is in black and white. It is stark light. There's a lot of shadows and contrasts.
0: The deep focus. The deep, exactly. Where, where things in the foreground are as clear as things in the background. And there was a lot of great, innovative cinematographers that came from this. Yeah. experiment with that.
1: Let's take a break real quick.
0: We are trying now the Kalamazoo Stout. And this is... It's from Bells. They're in Michigan. They've been around for a long, long time. Classic American stout. Yeah, that's great. There's dark chocolate on there. There's coffee. And you have not had this before? I have not.
1: It's darker than the Sam Smith. Cheers. Oh, you, yeah, you get that, you're a
0: coffee guy. Sorry. Yeah, that's dark chocolate coffee and coffee. And dark chocolate, roasty. my wife's favorite thing. You might have to pick some up.
1: Oh, that's nice. Less sweet than oatmeal stout, but it still a has a chocolatey, roasty coffee taste to it. and still thick. Great with some barbecue. It's still a, th- a thick Or if beer. you had some yeah. dark chocolate. Yeah, or A little exactly. bit of dark
0: chocolate <laughs> if that's your thing. I was trying to think of hitting different types of stouts, but also trying to go with different areas. So we have, obviously, Britain, yep. the British Isles. Yorkshire. We have <laughs> New York, Michigan, and then Colorado. Nice. I did not hit the West Coast because we do have to be coherent. <laughs> <laughs> you know? because it, <laughs> As much as possible. <laughs> yeah. It, it, things, things can get off the rails pretty easy. <laughs> I think we discussed it for, like, when you get to an Imperial Stout, they get a little big, so you share them tried to get different things. I've had 3 of the 4.
1: As a coffee drinker, I like that taste. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: The thing is that there is no coffee. There is no chocolate in it. You get it from the brewing process. Yeah. In today's day, you know, you get a lot of beers that that have tons of ingredients. I appreciate when people do stuff like that, but sometimes when somebody just says, "Hey, here's a stout." I go, "Thank you." I just really want that roasty, classic brewing. You didn't put coffee in, but you were able to get coffee elements. So that's great. So we were back to that idea of the dark, overwhelming darkness. And we're in a lot of interiors. And it's in a city. But then, especially like in the 50s. Now, I just watched Detour, which was 1945. And a lot of that has taken place on the road. And that's another reason like film noir, it's like it could only be American. Because the road trip is a very American thing. So a lot of detour is ta- it takes place on the road. Uh, we actually did The Hitchhiker, which falls in the, in the film noir category. Okay. You see that mentioned on yep. a lot of lists, and I think it, it fits the bill. So much of that is in the, uh, the wide-open expanse of Mexico. It, but actually filmed in Alabama Hills, in yes.
1: California. <laughs> this is true. This is true.
0: Yes, you're right. It, it was not filmed. But it is in the desert. Yes. And then, uh, one, you loaned me a book Got the name of it, The Lost Noir. Yes. It was a lot of, of films. I hadn't heard of a lot of them. I went through, I found one, Highway Dragnet, which was really cool. And that started Richard Conti, who was in the big combo. And I kept seeing him. He was in a number of film noirs. And he plays a Korean War vet, wrongly accused of murder. And it starts in Vegas, ends in the Salton Sea. There's nary a shadow to be had out there. It becomes more about content. It doesn't have to be dark, rainy streets. It's the content.
1: But even those movies, there's shots. I'm thinking of The Hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. When they finally pick up, I forget the character's name, but they pick, which the actor's William Talman, and he's in the back. And that shot, that dark thing where it's Frank Lovejoy, and Edmund O'Brien in the front seats, and he's in the back. But even in those movies where you have stark bright desert scapes of southern california there's still these shadows that are cast these yep. dark t- they're basically saying that you can't outrun darkness you can't exactly. outrun the bad things in life
0: as soon as you mention that i know exactly what you're talking talk cuz he's sitting in the dark and then he leans into the yeah. light and you see the face of evil and it's it's fantastic when people think of the noir idea yeah. it's more of an idea there's one that we both watched the big combo it's not a film noir and it's it's point of view the point of view has to be from outside of the law. It either has to be from detective standpoint... Oh, and when accused. we say detective, we're talking about a private, a private, invest- private yes, investigator. Yes, your, your private, private investigator. It has to be from the civilian world. The, the point of view of the film is from the police going out solving a crime. That is not a film noir to me. That is one hard and fast rule I will not bend for. And the big combo, the perspective of that entire movie is from the police. From a cop trying to solve these crimes... And therefore, I don't personally consider it. Even though, I mean, everybody in the world could put it on a film noir list. And I'd say, I disagree.
1: And and the same thing. Like, he walked by night. Alfred Walker directed this in 48. So the was John Alton, who does a lot of film noir. That is a police procedural. In fact, Jack Webb of Dragnet fame is in that movie. And he came up with the idea of Dragnet after that movie. And you'll see on people's list. And I think some critics will say... If the perspective is from the police, from a licensed legal agent, it's not really film noir, but it has film noir elements. Exactly. Both those movies, I would still
0: say, are very pessimistic movies. It's a great word, pessimistic, because film noir is one thing, pessimistic. A, A happy ending in film noir is somebody not getting murdered. I remember we had it in in our discussion of Kansas City Confidential because you said, oh, it's a happy ending. And I said, is it really? Because at the end of Kansas City Confidential, the guy lies to his future wife because her dad was a straight up crook. So their entire relationship is built on this lie and she's going to go out saying her dad was a hero forever when her dad was a no good crook. (laughs) Is it a happy ending? But that is, it's a very pessimistic film style. How optimistic can you be when your hero or anti-hero is not a really great person. Even in Highway Dragnet, the wrongly accused man, during the film as he's trying to get away, he does some things that aren't cool at all. He does bad things in his pursuit to prove himself. It's pessimistic, downbeat genre. It makes it interesting to me because it came during World War II. You would think that people would shun. Something so negative, like wow, this horrible war is going on, we need something happy. But it almost seems like people embraced that darkness.
1: Films, movies, books they're never made, there's always a co- the context of the time. These hard boiled detective novels, private investigator novels that came out during a half century of War One, the Great Depression, and World War Two, and also this. Scientific discovery, and what we're discovering is the nuclear bomb, radiation,
0: (laughs) and so we can destroy the planet
1: (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's what happens at the end of Kiss Me Deadly. I mean, no matter
0: what version you see, it is the end. It's great because he finds his lady. Let's run outside as this we assume a nuclear bomb. Is going off now. Yes, it's one. The of what's the, it? It, it, it? Whatever's yes. in that briefcase. The, the what's it? If there's one to go out and see, that's definitely one of them. That ending is just so like cynical and downbeat. You're just going, "Wow, this is a beach house that's about to destroy the West Coast."
1: I read some critics, and part of the, they talk about this pessimistic idea in film noir, and they point out that it really has this existential: life is meaningless. And I would say men and women who came out of War One, the Great Depression and World War II, and they were God-fearing people and saying, like, how could all this happen to us? It keeps rolling on. You're being trampled down by history. And so you start having these writers who are like, I'm going to write these hard-boiled detective where, like, nothing matters. You know, everybody's flawed. Everybody's ethically compromised. I-, I think a perfect example also is The End of the Killing, Stanley Kubrick's film noir about a... Racetrack heist. And everything that can go wrong goes wrong. And at the end, our lead, played by Sterling Hayden. It's just him who survived. And he has a suitcase of money. And he's at the airport with his gal. And somehow he can't check the baggage in. Didn't think about this beforehand. And so it has to be walked to the airplane. And a little dog, a randomness of life, basically causes the suitcase, the porter to drop the suitcase, and money fly everywhere. And then the police are arriving and his wife is like, used to flee. And the ending line is that, what's the difference?
0: <laughs> I mean, it
1: just ends like that defeat is like, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> like, it's it so, doesn't matter. It's cynical. It's <laughs> it just so... And, and that's why when we discuss Out of the Past, it made me so sad. Because at the end, I mean, Robert Mitchum, he tells that first part of the movie, these are the mistakes I made to the the, the innocent woman he loves. The good woman. And yet, the second part of the movie is just all those same mistakes. And at the end, he was like, you know what? My life,
0: there's no choice in life. It's it funny because Robert Mitchum in The Locket. He tells the guy, "He doesn't repeat his mistakes." He tells the guy, "You're going to make all the mistakes that I made." And the dude looks at him and goes, "Okay." He <laughs> goes out and does just that. And at the end the guy repeats his line. He says, "You're going to go make the mistakes I made." So this is a cycle in The Locket. We had a huge discussion about that one because it was considered a film noir. I don't really think it is. It has elements just about every movie has ha- some ha- element. If you have a, a canted camera yeah. angle, it's a distorter. If you have shadows, it's one of those things. You know it when you see it, but you can't define it. It was something I think they said in the 80s about pornography or something. I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. And that's film noir. And it totally makes sense that something, when you watch the movies, there are all these like complications and confusing things and like surreal qualities that you just go, if you held a gun to my head and said, define film noir... I'd just name a movie. I'd say, Out of the Past. I'd say, Murder My Sweet. That's film noir. And if they said, What about Dragnet? I'd say, That's Police Procedural. And then they'd shoot me because they'd go, Oh, this guy's about to get really long-winded and boring. (laughs) 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 I'd say, Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) I mean, Kiss Me Deadly. 100%. That is the big sleep. The Maltese Falcon. And then i go, You know what else is? Is Highway Dragnet. Which is so... Out of the box as far as what you think. Again, it comes down to the content and perspective. I think the best ones have things like the femme fatale. A strong female lead. My favorite ones usually have that character. But like something like The Big Clock is one of my favorites. It doesn't. It was remade as No Way Out in the late 80s with Kevin Costner. But that, that's a great one about Ray Milan investigating himself, basically. And it's, it's a fantastic film noir. doesn't have the femme fatale. The same thing, The Prowler, which was done in 1951, it stars
1: Van Heflin. There's no femme fatale. In fact, if you want to say if there's any fatale in it, it's that character. He's a policeman who doesn't want to be a policeman. He feels that he's been slighted his entire life. And on a night, he's called in to investigate a potential peeping Tom. And he meets this woman who has a very wealthy husband. He kind of starts up a romance It really romances a woman. And really, the whole goal is to basically is to knock him off, then marry this dame. And you talked about road movies, too, because they end up driving out to Calico. He's a police, but truly the perspective is that he is committing a crime. It has these harsh angles. It's pessimistic. He, he I mean, he doesn't win out in the end, but it doesn't have some of the elements. It doesn't have the femme fatale. It doesn't have a convoluted plot with nested flashbacks or flashbacks or voiceovers. But it's still considered... A film, the war.
0: Exactly. Odds against tomorrow. First of all, I can't believe it wasn't shown in any of the classes I took. Secondly, that I it slipped from my fingers all these years, and I saw it because that again about a retired police officer yeah. who's like, I'm going to do, a, I'm gonna do a, I got a big idea for some criming. <laughs> I mean, it's a big deal, and that that one is interesting, fantastic. I watched it, and, I, and that is definitely one I watch again. Pacing, the characters it's a little harsh one of the themes of that movie and that is one thing it doesn't film noir doesn't get terribly political there are some themes that come in and that the one in that one is race because you have Harry Belafonte and I don't know why the guy picked these two people you pick this awful racist and a black man to help you do a crime who's
1: a musician yes who's, he, and also a major gambler he's, yeah he ruined his relationship with his wife
0: it was really heartbreaking you get this guy who was a cop. You want the police to be good. And this guy's going to do a crime. You get this whole racial undertone going on. And Harry Belfonte, this was his production company. It is a
1: fantastic movie. And it's one year out of that period where people are like, this is film noir. 1958. But it's black and white. It's completely pessimistic. No one 100%. gets out of this movie at all. I did see it on some lists where people say, this is one of the last film memoirs. If you want to put a mark, this is really one of the last film memoirs. The bookend
0: is Maltese Falcon and then Odds Against Tomorrow. The acting is through the freaking roof. I think they mean it to be upbeat, but at the end, the two, spoiler alert, (laughs) at the end, the racist and the black man both are blown up when they pull the blankets back they go which is which because they're both burned so bad so it's sort of saying like hey we are kind of all the same
1: or it's also saying none of this matters when you die life is uh, honestly meaningless again
0: (laughs) your choices don't matter your your happy ending in a film noir (laughs) is not getting murdered
1: and i think when we see these police officers in these film noirs who are not it's not a police procedure but it's a true film noir it is representative of the fact that we're saying that people are, are flawed and they're ethically compromised. And that's what you see in film noir. And you see that randomness in lies where DOA is a perfect example. Edmund O'Brien's character. He's an accountant. He signs at the notary. And someone realized, oh my gosh, if someone really investigates this crime I'm doing, they're going to come across this and he may be able to point at me. And because of that, he's poisoned and he's died. He did nothing wrong. It's just a completely random event that took place in his life,
0: and he suffers for it. All right, so take a quick break. We're gonna do the Irish cream multiple infinities from Artisanal Brewworks. I have not had this. I'm looking forward to it because I, I I like Irish cream. Yeah. Well, Irish cream in your coffee it smells really good. It's appropriate when you're yeah. when you're camping. Yeah. Or on vacation, Irish cream in your coffee in the morning. That's Cheers. sweet.
1: That's Irish cream. Wow. That's. You can have this instead of a cup of coffee in the morning. Oh.
0: <laughs> that is
1: a that so far out of all this that that is a very sweet taste.
0: It does contain lactose. I hope you're not lactose intolerant.
1: I'm not. Oh, that's that's good. That's sweet. What is the percent on this though? This
0: this one is nine. Oh, so we are sharing it.
1: <laughs> uh, the reason I'm asking is that that sweetness. There's no. Alcohol, there's like. no booziness, <laughs> can... it's hiding it. This is a sneak. This is a trickster. This is like
0: a low key beer, I call them, where you go pour in your coffee cup in the morning. I mean, this is one of those on vacation, of course, <laughs> on camping. <laughs> this is good for some reason. I attribute like camping, sort of all rules is... are off when you're camping. But...
1: This is really good. It's sweet, it is it thick. Does...
0: And where did you say that this is? Uh, Saratoga Springs, okay, New York, nice, I believe, on the side. Thinking of beers, I told you my idea. I was at a shop, Valley Beverage Company. It's a cool little shop, great beer selection. The beer selection is sort of mind mind bending. But I saw a single can of it. My roots go back to Ireland. I do kind of appreciate that. And I saw this, and I went, "Well, this is a, sounds a little different." I like Irish cream. I know you. I figured yep. you do. Oh yeah. A good stout, something different, something I hadn't had. This is tasty. It's this tasty. Is scary it's
1: thick could almost be a shake.
0: I don't mind thickness. It doesn't make me like oh I can't drink too much. I was sitting at home accidentally had a four pack of these you couple and then you go to get up and you go whoa whoa why is the room upside down you know sort of that dream sequence that you often get in a film noir like murder murder my sweet that great delirium scene yes and when people they get beat up and they're like oh I fell into a black hole Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe got hit in the head so many times that movie I think it's that one it has one of the greatest lines ever I felt okay Like an amputated leg. (laughs) He had so many great little one-liners. Murder My Sweet
1: is an excellent movie. That's when you see that German expressionism impact on that movie. That whole nightmare scene of him basically being drugged. That was right out of that type of cinema. It was
0: fantastic. It's so fantastic. And a great femme fatale. In that movie, too, it has a favorite character,
1: Moose. That actor... I don't have his name on the tip of my tongue, but he, he's a professional played, that, wrestler. he played that role so well. He was, I, I like that. I mean, part of the reason I
0: like that movie and I'd watch it again because of his performance. <laughs> he's the gentle giant, but when he says, you shouldn't have said that, it is just terrifying because he's walking towards the camera. When the switch flips on this guy, good luck. He was a professional wrestler. The actor was. He was hard to stop. If you've ever been around people like that who are just that big, if that ball gets rolling, there's nothing I can do to stop it. Then he all of a sudden he's super sweet. You get these wonderful characters in film noir that I, I just. I, it's one of the things I love about it is you get these offbeat, oddball characters. It's sort of that slice of life where it's like you never live this story, but you go, oh, these are real people. It's like a guy you work with. This is how real people live. People sweat. People stink. People bleed. It's like you don't fight for 10 minutes and then jog away all happily. Go nurse your wounds and slap a stake on your eye because you just took a beating. I want to mention
1: one movie, too. You know, when you think of film noir, you generally don't think of romance. You think of maybe sexual obsession, sexual desire, but you don't generally think of romance. But Gun Crazy, which is a film noir, and you shared it with me, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a great
0: little movie, man.
1: So Peggy Cummings, this is a, a romance between two people that just completely goes, it's off kilter to begin with. <laughs> I mean, everything about the relationship is wrong <laughs> and it leads to a life of crime and, they, and death at the end.
0: They, they like guns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Robbie didn't shoot people except for him. And then at the end, he has to make a decision between shooting her or shooting his friends that he grew up with. And he shoots her. That's the, <laughs> that's the happy ending. That's the happy ending. That's the It's dream like that fog as they're walking out. Not that this is a classical romance.
0: It's a Bonnie and Clyde romance. If we ever had to settle down and live this uh, square life, it wouldn't work. We're only in it for the thrills. It's not love. It's infatuation. Great little movie. Gun Crazy and Detour are often paired together as two like classic film noirs.
1: And there is a road element to Gun Crazy as we oh, going down to Robbie. yeah before we move into talking about some directors i want to mention some critics i pulled this quote about film noir that some critics have said this is an arbitrary designation for a multitude of dissimilar black and white dramas of the late 40s and early 50s and film scholar chris fujiwara sorry if i mispronounce your name contends that the makers of such films didn't think of them as film noirs. And I agree. When people were making they were not thinking of film noirs, they that's were not making the point. gangster movies, yeah. crime movies. They thought they were making crime films, thrillers, mysteries, and romantic melodramas.
0: That's completely missing the point though. Yeah. Vord and Shamatan pretty much say that. People didn't get together and say, let's make a new genre. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't pick up a pattern yeah. until the pattern is there. there. So I think that misses the point that if you look back and you go, whoa, there was a trend. John Carpenter didn't set out to make the slasher genre yeah. huge. It happened. It followed in the wake of him. I think the bag on it is just, to use a modern term, it's clickbait. I don't know how you feel. I think it's worth
1: pointing out that there are, there are critics out there who say, listen, Absolutely. none of these people set out to make a film the war movie and it's being defined afterwards but I agree with you that when you look at these movies across the board, there is something that a sets them apart. There is a thread.
0: Because because they're not gangster movies. They're not police procedurals. procedurals. They're not necessarily psychological melodramas. They're not romances. They're not comedies. They're, you pick up a thread that runs through a collection of movies. Science does that all the time. I don't see why art can't be the same way.
1: I spent a lot of time looking at people's lists online. And that's when you see lists where you have movies that I don't, I think, have noir elements. I would not classify Phil film noir, but they show up, like, in a lonely place.
0: That's in the top ten list. It's
1: a top it's ten good. list. And I watched it. And that is really a romantic drama. A very pessimistic, violent, romantic drama. It doesn't really deal too much with the criminal element. There's no femme fatale in this movie. It's not... Nested backs up in a confusing plot. It has to do with a screenwriter. He has a great name, Dixon, played by Humphrey Bogart, who gets accused of a crime, of killing a young hat check girl that he had come over his house because she read a book that he was supposed to write a script on. After she leaves, she gets killed. He starts a, a romantic relationship with a woman who lives in the same complex who provides him with an alibi. He did not kill this woman, but he is a violent man.
0: But it's always telling, and, and I almost say, "Oh, it's a film noir," because you know what? He didn't do the crime, but he makes somebody else lie for him so he has an alibi. That's not what good people do. <laughs> no, you know, because, true. Because, because, hey, would you do a crime <laughs> to cover up a crime that I didn't commit? You're right. That's question. Sunset Boulevard always thrown in yeah. with noir. Tons of the elements that you would associate with film noir:
1: voiceover, flashbacks. Pessimistic, and I mean, you have a but the, spoiler alert dead person doing the voiceover of the
0: entire movie. And, and, and that's there's a whole deal with that where it's like there are very few movies where the voiceover is done by the person who's dead. First thing uh, you see is the yeah. dead man in the pool, and then he gives you the voiceover. So, on one hand, you could say cheap way to tell a story, on the other hand, it's fantastic. It's always a film noir. And, and you go, it's not really a crime film. There is a crime committed. The woman is hopelessly out of her mind. The Locket, one of the ones that I've seen d- described as a film noir, and we've covered it. No way. She's basically a pickpocket. Well, there's something wrong with her. Convoluted plotline
1: deals with someone who is committing crimes. after layers
0: layers of flashbacks.
1: Nicholas Musaraka, cinematographer known for film noir, did the movie. I think
0: we've done three or four of his movies. Uh, Oh, yes, we have. And his camera work is, if I was making a movie, I would go, I think I want that guy. One of the people, they say, define the look of film noir. So let's talk about some of the directors. We've mentioned a
1: couple in passing, but let's go back through this. One is Robert... Siodmak. How do you say his last name again? I say Siodmak, And he was one of these people who was born in Dresden, Germany. Yep. Migrated <laughs> because of what was going on. and
0: I would almost say fled. Migration sort of is like, oh, you know, but, I think I'm going to go over here now. With him, it was fleeing.
1: And he is one of the directors who cited who has made probably the most amount of film noirs defined as film noirs. And he did a couple that I really enjoy, including The Killers with Burt Lancaster and Crisscross Cross with Burt Lancaster. <laughs> Get a little Burt in your life, you know? <laughs> and then you mentioned Fritz Lang, mm-hmm. also someone who was born in Vienna, Austria, who came over because of World War II. You told that story. And he did, you know, from Scarlet Street to the Big Heat, Blue Gardenia. Big Heat's one of my favorites. Otto Preminger. He did Laura... He did a film noir that doesn't show up on a lot list that I really enjoyed called Fallen Angel. 1945. It has a protagonist. I mean, he is a con artist. Runs out of money on his way to between San Francisco to LA and has this to. This is Carradine? This is where John Carradine's in, in the movie. I mean, it has a very interesting
0: plot line. Thoroughly enjoyed it. So we're yeah. gonna do our last beer. Our last beer, oh boy. I'm gonna say it, I'm throwing it down. This is my favorite American imperial stout. Great Divide, thick, the Yeti. Thick
1: head on it. Oh. Thicker than
0: all, all these other... Double cheers on it. This, this mirror is magic. Oh, that's chocolatey. This thing is like absorbing light.
1: It's as black as some of the shadows in some of these movies. <laughs> it, Darkness.
0: <laughs> it, it was a great idea to do stouts for this. The definition of roasty should just have a picture of the Yeti. They do tons of variations. They have a chocolate cherry Yeti. I always go back to this one, the, the original, the base one. They do a barrel-aged version that will put you right on your butt. I've had it, and it comes in a 750. I found a bottle of it from, like, it was like a 2017. Oh, my God, I've never had this. I'm going to have this, and I went home. Opened it, I did everything right, and I just, I sipped it, and then I didn't do a whole hell of a lot afterwards. (laughs) This regular Yeti is to 9.1. I mean, don't mess around. This is the
1: first one where you could taste the alcohol, like you could get a sense of it. In terms of putting these four together, I enjoyed all of them. I would go back and drink all of them. This is probably the
0: thickest and the least sweet. I don't have a huge sweet tooth, Mm -hmm. so like a roasty. This thing with a burger... Hot roast Carl's Jr. Superstar. again. I'm an omnivore. <laughs> Carl's Jr. In and out four by four. <laughs> I'm about, I'm, I'm, okay. In and out I can handle, but Carl's Jr. I was about. Oh, I was abo- I was my a, favorite. I was about to walk out. I'm like, it's very warm where we are. <laughs> like I drink this, and I it makes me long for like a Midwest winter or autumn when it's cold and rainy and very film warm. You're sitting at a bar <laughs> sipping this, waiting for a guy. You're waiting for bad news. Some guy's got some information. See? That's what's going to (laughs) happen. Or you're like, we got a caper. One of the things I always love is is it's the Fletch thing. Where in film noir, people always have the right line at the right time. It's like you get these really smart-alecky guys. They're getting smacked around. They're like, I don't know. They say something something really quippy and really smart-alecky. And you go, ugh. I would love to be that cool and thoughtful under pressure.
1: But you have Raymond Chandler. You have Leah Brackett riding your dog. And I had to mention that on The Big Sleep, Howard Hawks, 1946, Humphrey Bogart playing Philip Marlowe, Leah Brackett was called in to help write some of the screenplay. And I think the story goes, how she spells her name, they didn't think it was a woman. And she showed up. She was a big sci-fi writer. She was married to Edmund Hamilton. And she wrote the Empire Strikes Back. But she worked on The Big Sleep. But you have writers writing your dialogue. So it's always the best dialogue. Oh, it is.
0: Well, I mean, when you're sitting down and writing, yeah. you know, I do a bit of writing myself. And it's like, you can come up with that. Right. But in real life, if you're ever in that situation, people are probably just like blubbering messes. They're not throwing out things like, ah, oh, I could use a couple more of those. Exactly. No, yeah. <laughs> Usually you got to take me out to dinner. They have all these great lines. Like, again... Going back to Murder, My Sweet. Sweet. Philip Marlowe. Dick Powell's Philip Marlowe. He's just always got the right line. But I think part of film noir, too,
1: you have some great villains. William Talman in The Hitchhiker, I was scared of. In the beginning of The Killers, (laughs) the dialogue between the hitmen, Al, and Max. And that that film noir was based on an Ernest Hemingway short story. That dialogue as they enter the diner, that is the most, that frightened me. Those men walking (laughs) into a restaurant would bother me. You have Kirk Douglas out of the past, oh. <laughs> with his smiley face. This person's not even a real human. <laughs> when, when, when,
0: yes, when Robert Mitchum, when, when his character is in Mexico and there's a knock on his door and he opens it, there's Kirk Douglas stand there with his guy behind him. It's like that's his heavy, that's his yeah. right. But it's like I'm not scared of that guy. I'm scared of this guy. He's got that smile. It, it is. He is so oily and <laughs> so terrifying. I mentioned earlier Richard Widmark as Tommy Udo. This dude is just a terrifying individual. In Goodfellas, Joe Pesci's character, he's like, oh, just all this wild and crazy. There's a, a little bit of Tommy Yudo in that, where it's just somebody you go, I, I don't want to be around this person. Even if I'm your friend, I don't want to be around you because I don't know what's going on. The characters are straight from those pulp stories. There are people that, again, you might have come across. Having been a bartender, sometimes you see someone come into a, a bar and you just kind of go, this could be trouble. I got to keep an eye out for this person. I've
1: enjoyed diving into this and watching movies I have never seen. And, I, and I'm still making a list of movies I want to continue to watch that maybe eventually we'll cover on this podcast.
0: There is so much film noir coming up in this podcast because there are just way too many movies
1: that fit the B-movie genre that would be worth discussing.
0: Film noir is B-movie. It is 100% <laughs> a B-movie. We say 41 to 59. It ends with Odds Against Tomorrow. After that, I consider things neo-noir because even Board and Shawmatan revisited it after they put their book out from 41 to 53 they extended a bit, but they also said there was a renaissance in the 60s because you have Point Blank, you have like several crime films, and, and Jean-Pierre Melville, one of my favorite directors. And, and even into the 70s, I consider that neo-noir. You still have all of the elements that were in The Maltese Falcon, that were in Murder My Suite. You know, it's color and it's a different time. Classic era is 41 to 59. After that, I personally say neo-noir. And you know, maybe that's pretentious. I don't know. I wish I could remember at what point I really started digging this, this type of movie. I know it comes probably from gangster films I watched growing up, but there was a point where just I would go back. I always like finding, you know, hey, who influenced these people? And you find out they mentioned this movie. So you go back and suddenly I'm watching The Big Sleep and I'm reading Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. And then I'm going, these are super cool movies. We went
1: to Last Remaining Seats, the Los Angeles Conservancy, their annual fundraiser during the month of July in downtown Los Angeles. Did we see Maltese Falcon or Double? And da- I- I've
0: seen Maltese, Maltese Falcon. Falcon. Okay, it was it was Maltese, Maltese Falcon, Falcon, which was super cool. I mean, seeing that in the big screen, old theater in downtown LA. Cheers to that! And I know Billy Wilder received an, an award outside of the Bradbury Building, which is famous. If you're in LA, one thing I would say is like touristy thing. Go to the Bradbury building. A lot of people will know it from Blade Runner.
1: Possibly neo noir, flashbacks, voiceover,
0: no, <laughs> pessimistic. Wait, which version? <laughs> Because the real, the theater release had the voiceover, which Ridley Scott hated. Exactly. It's like, I've seen, I think I've seen 20 versions. No, no. Actually, no. 100% neo-noir. That is considered. Yeah. A, and it is. That thing is more noir than so many other movies that are considered noir. That's more noir than Sunset Boulevard, I say. Or Sweet Smell My Success. <laughs> this was your, your idea to do as our first special Something. episode. So hats off to you. And I'm glad that you... Found a lot of movies you liked. I, did. I know you had seen you. You don't give yourself enough credit. You've seen a lot of stuff. You have your opinion matters just as much as mine. Just because I decided to spend <laughs> a, a bunch, a bunch, year, of, <laughs> a bunch, of years studying it. <laughs> it's. I mean, you did the deep dive into this, and you found movies you might not have looked for before. It's so much fun. It's great filmmaking. It's great storytelling. It's great acting. It's all of these people coming together to make something super cool.
1: That stands a test of time.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you can go back and watch it, and you go, well, they don't have cell phones. They have this. But you know what? It's like, I watch them, and I go, it holds up.
1: It resonates. A lot of these movies are about this human condition. Greed.
0: Greed hasn't changed. You know? Technology's changed in 80 years, but revenge and greed? Humans have not. (laughs) The only thing you look back, you go, boy, they're sure leaving a lot of evidence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i like, why don't they get the CSI team out there? <laughs> yeah. Go in there with a the blacklight and I'm going to catch you. I think it's important. We used a panorama of American film noir by Bord and Shaumaton. If you're into this, if you want to learn more, that's where you go. That's where I start. That was the book they gave me that defines the entire genre. I also, because I keep the books, More Than Night, Film Noir and Its Context by James Naramore. He's sort of a modern-day expert on film noir. That is a seriously great book. You learn so much. I also have Women in Film Noir, edited by E. Ann Kaplan. That's a great book. It opens up a window into something that necessarily wasn't being looked at at the time.
1: I want to thank you for sending me this book. The board and shamaton book, The Panorama of America, was such a good read. I also checked out from the library... The Philosophy of Film Noir, edited by Mark T. Conrad. I also use a book that I own, L.A. Noir, The Sidious Character, by Elaine Silver and James Ursini. Uh, another book I own, Los Angeles, Bunker Hill, Pulp Fiction's Main Streets, and Film Noir's Ground Zero, by Jim Dawson. I just thoroughly enjoy diving into... This genre It's so fun And watching the movies The interesting part too Is a lot of these movies Because they were done By these poverty world Production companies That did not Protect their copyrights You can find A lot of these movies On YouTube The Internet Archive Amazon Prime I don't think I bought A
0: single movie I sent you a picture I already owned (laughs) a, A stack of 20 to 25 Of these Types of movies I'm glad you enjoyed it because it's one of my favorite types of movies. We're going to put together a list of film noirs that we recommend and we'll put that on our website. The beer was excellent. We Thank got, you. You know, Sam, Samuel Smith, Bell's Artisanal Brew Works. What I a treat. Might, might be the first one I've had yeah. from them. I can't remember, but I'm going to definitely go back to these guys. Great, great Divide. Great Divide Yeti? That's a sensational. I hope you we've like had,
1: I did. And we've had Great Divide on our podcast before.
0: We have. They do nothing wrong. Sensational brewery. But all of these, it's, it's been great. It was a perfect, perfect choice for this.
1: Absolutely. They cover a genre that is predominantly a B movie.
0: Absolutely. So
1: I think that wraps it up.
0: Hey, please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you listen. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter.
1: And check out our website. This is Beer Movies. I'm
0: Jason. And I'm Michael. How shall I make out the
1: report on him, Captain? Better make it dead on arrival.